Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics with a paranormal podcast that delves under the hood of the strange and the unexplained. And Ben, I was thinking we might we're, we're going to need to change our um, tagline scene, right? With all the cars going electric. Oh God, yeah. You probably just, can't tinker under the hood of an electric car. I don't. Can I don't. You? I, well, I think it's just got a boot at either end, doesn't it? So you can't really tinker at all it doesn't sound right where we charge the batteries of the strange and the unexplained doesn't sound quite well right. look it looks like they'll be made illegal for sale in 2030 so we've got we've got a little bit of time we've got a little bit of time to think about it yeah okay yeah. fair enough right. I'll, I'll stop having sleepless nights about that don't, don't worry about the, the tagline we can always change the tagline all right fair <laughs> enough <laughs> what um, have we got today ben well Look, I want to talk to you about the pitter-patter of tiny feet, and I'm not talking about babies. I'm... Oh, I was just about to buy you a bottle of champagne. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be champagne. Um, <laughs> no, I'm talking about uh, fairies. Ah, ah. So ever since we started this, like I've always I wanted to talk about the Cottingley fairies, but I think... Those have been well covered. We understand that yeah. that was a, uh, even if not it, a, a complete fraud, it was at least partly a fraud, and it brought people like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle into yeah. I was going to say we t- we touched upon it, didn't we, when we did the Houdini thing? We didn't go yeah. into great detail, but we did touch upon it. And I think we also very briefly. Uh, talked about it in terms of the Banshees episode, didn't we, about kind of Irish culture around fairies yeah, and stuff. that's so, right, but, yeah. But that's yeah. the only time we've really covered it. Yeah, yeah. So um, the first time that I particularly um, encountered it, you're, you're right, Ireland, um, visiting uh, friends in Ireland, it turned, it, I realised that they take it um, pretty seriously and then also in iceland they take it incredibly seriously it's um uh, it's actually part of uh, some of the laws that you're not allowed to uh, build roads in uh, various places where there are apparently fairy dwellings so i thought brilliant so there's like a a fairy equivalent of the green belts which we have in the uk where you can't build on on greenland well, not yeah. Greenland. Not we're talking about Iceland. This is going to get very confusing. Um, but we basically, yeah, I love that. That there's a kind of fairy reserve that you can't touch. There That's is, brilliant. yeah, there is, there is, and because the the whole notion of uh, sort of diminutive um, human-like creatures seems to be all pervasive, I thought I would have a bit of a deep dive into it. And at the start of the deep dive, I uncovered something which I had no idea existed, which was the Fairy Investigation Society. Oh. Uh, and I'd never heard of it before. It oh, was um, it was founded in 1926 by a man called Barnard Slay. Um, and it came out of a book that he wrote called The Gates of the Horn Being Sundry Records from the proceedings of the investigation of fairy fact and fallacy. So it's a he's, very he, He's got to work on title. that title. He really <laughs> does have I'm, to work I'm on I hope he's that. a better writer than he is titler. <laughs> <laughs> well, it became quite a big thing in the 20s and 30s. And by 
the 1950s. It had over 100 members, including our old favourite, Walt Disney. He was a member. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And part of the uh, sort of membership criteria was that you had to believe in fairies. I guess that's a, you know, that's a fair enough thing to ask for. Um, but there were, there were, it, it operated as a, a sort of a Fortean society in a way, and it went all the way through to the early 1990s when uh, it ceased to be in existence. But then it apparently reformed in 2014 with an anonymous membership list and the lack of a requirement to believe in fairies. Um, but I, I did some digging around that and I can't find out much about it because their website uh, is down and uh, because the membership list is uh, anonymous. <laughs> you can't find, yeah, you can't find out much about it. But during its heyday, it really it, it was a place where people who had had experiences of fairy folk uh, sent letters and they um, they catalogued all the experiences that people sent to them with. So I loved I loved the fact that you could r- literally say it's a small but in- in- exclusive society. I love that. <laughs> well, yes, it is a very small <laughs> exclusive society. Um, and so I was looking at some of the letters that they had received and. So I found a letter that was received by this society sometime between 1929 and 1937. So you you kind of, I guess you have to bear in mind that perhaps this society wasn't, um, it, it, it didn't keep records as well as one hoped. But there was uh, a letter to Claire Cantlin, who was the secretary of the Fairy Investigation Society during that time. And this letter was written by somebody who lived, um, or uh, not lived, I should say, but was staying in a, in a house in Gloucester. And this house had a garden that attached to the forest of Birdlip Beaches. And if anybody knows that part of the world, Birdlip Hill is fairly famous as as you kind of come out the back of Burford and go about 50 miles. You then descend this big hill and you're in uh, Gloucestershire. And so Birdlip Beaches is on the Cotswold Hills, really. Right. And um, this was a really striking account. So this this uh, person is a young lady who wrote this letter she described that she was staying in this uh, this house and she had washed her hair. She'd walked out to the forest, so the birdlet be- beaches, and she'd gone as far as being out, uh, out of sight of the house and she was letting the sun dry her hair while she enjoyed the scenery. And then she felt something tugging in her hair. And when she turned to look, she found that tangled in it was a tiny little man. And she describes it as no bigger than nine inches tall, 
She says it was dreadfully ugly and misshapen and wrinkled. Hmm. His skin was a yellow-brown colour that reminded her of dead aspen leaves, which is a fairly poetic thing to say. <laughs> Not very uh, polite, though. No. <laughs> he had a high, squeaky voice and complained to her as she struggled to free him from her hair. He told her that she had no right to be there troubling honest folk and that her hair might have strangled him. And as soon as she freed him, he disappeared. Then what is very interesting is, in, these are notes from this uh, society. Later on, there's a notes from a professor from Bristol University, and he, he makes comments on uh, her first-hand experience. And he says he's not surprised. The professor told her that Birdlet Beaches was known to still have fairies and that no one could go there because of it. So whether you kind of take yeah. that story on uh, on hearsay or whatever, what is very clear is that the notion of believing in fairy folk was pretty strong in yeah, yeah. the the early 19th century. Well, if you've got universe, uh, university professors and all kinds of stuff, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess my, um, my vision of a fairy is probably shaped by, you mentioned him earlier, people like Walt Disney and mm. uh, Peter Pan and Tinkerbell and uh, I guess in, in more modern times, you know, just, I remember a book I had to read to my daughter when she was very young, which was all about fairies. They were terrible books. There was like, I can't remember what they were called now, but, you know, they're always kind of cutesy and winged and whatever. So I thought it was interesting your description made it sound more, you know, well, not that stereotypical view of a fairy, basically. No, no, that's right, no. And I think we do have um, a stereotypical view of them which is kind of informed by like media and fairy tales. Um, I'm, I'm thinking I've just had a vision then of your the people who are still part of this secret society as I was talking, just shaking their head and going, oh, schoolboy error, schoolboy error. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> well, it, it seems like in fairy lore there is a lot of darkness and light and intrigue. So... Another, I was going through all of the reports that I could find to this society and I found um, uh, another summary of a letter which was um, sent anonymously or it was at least anonymized in their records. And this one, uh, this citing actually provoked some investigation. So... Um, the story picks up uh, a, um, with a group of friends who are out for a walk. And it says, um, we were feeling bored at sitting. So they're, they're basically sit, sitting in a woods and um, they're just out for the, the day and, and, and walking. So they're bored and they say they rose and walked about together until they found themselves in a clearing. And there, they all saw some green shapes dancing in a circle, hand in hand. Now, 
they also say that they couldn't see any expression of features. That's the actual term they use. Right. But they did. They did see pointed green hats, long legs and arms, and there was recounted one of the me- members of this group a sort of king in the centre of the ring with a light in his hand. While this group stood petrified with fright, the ring of shapes opened and the king went out and sat under a large dock leaf. He curled his legs up like a human being and fanned himself with a little leaf. <laughs> Mr X, who is the one of the older members of this group, because this group does have children in it, he says he could stand it no longer. He moved forward and all the figures ran with incredible swiftness towards a bank and vanished. The group searched frantically for some time, but nothing remained. So the place where this sighting happened was investigated several times in subsequent years. So the first time it was investigated was nine years after this event. Uh, and then some 46 years after this event. Those are the two times it's been recorded that it was investigated. And each time that people went there, they didn't see any uh, any little folk. They didn't see any fey folk. But what they did see were leaves and sticks arranged into unusual patterns that weren't natural. Right. So this this was one of the things that this investigate uh, this investigation society did was make these recordings and then people who were members of the society then followed them up uh, and obviously with the hope that they would find or see something but all of these accounts that they have received they either come from people who are uh, sort of open and willing just to share their experiences or they come from people who are shy about giving their actual details because they don't they don't want their professional life to suffer and that that last story i absolutely get the impression that the people who were involved in that sighting were were fearful that something you know, people would would view them yeah. uh, in an unfavourable light for for well, saying that they'd seen fairies. I mean, compared to probably anything, I'm just thinking back. Compared to anything that we've covered, you could see why, because this topic just feels pure giggle factor, doesn't it? Yes, you know oh, what it... I mean. And you know, yeah, it's almost like you can you can um, you can have a scale of what people are going to laugh at you for. You know, a ghost, oh, okay, UFO, fairy has got a, it's going to be high up there, right? Right, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's absolutely true. But I mean, you may you may go get on get onto this. So apologies if I'm jumping the gun, but no, no. Um, I'm quite interested in the descriptions of them. So in in your research and knowledge, you know, you've got you mentioned Ireland, you mentioned. Iceland, um, obviously places here. Again, I've got that stereotypical view of do they have wings? Do they all look the same? Are there differences between different countries? Right. So I I absolutely will come on to this, but okay. it seems like sometimes they are um, 
pretty and have and have wings. Right. Sometimes they're ugly and don't have wings. And then in a sighting that I'll reference later, they only have wings and you can't see you can't wow. see the see the body. But reading through all these accounts and bearing in mind that those two that I have just referenced come from like the 1920s, 1930s, before what you would call um, the era of, uh, I guess, UFOs and aliens, which I guess you could say started with Roswell in the in the 40s. Um, they have uh, an incredible similarity to alien abduction stories. And I'll give you an example. So this is from a, uh, a contemporary account in the 1950s from Ireland. And it describes how a woman, um, uh, an adult woman, uh, went missing for an entire night. And she believed that no time had passed. She thought, so she'd gone out for a walk then she failed to come home. Her entire family were going crazy looking for her. Again, I say it's the 1950s in Ireland. So um, it wasn't like they were going to phone the police and get like a helicopter out or anything yeah. uh, like that. But when she comes back and they say, where were you? Uh, she says, um, and this is a direct quote, she was in lovely cities and saw lovely women who all bowed to her. And when she goes on with her description, she talks about things like uh, artificial lighting. So wherever she has gone to, this, this place is lit with artificial lighting. And she describes it as being very bright and white. And that the the notion of missing time the fact that um she's talking about um lovely cities and her implication is that they are technologically advanced places in in rural ireland and she believes that they're um fairies they're small folk and she describes these lovely women who all bowed to her that for me started making me think okay this is incredibly similar to what mm. we get from alien encounter stories from present day and while you were talking about it actually i was cuz actually when you when you started talking i was thinking that you don't hear many modern day stories of this so i wonder if there's a correlation between these type of stories shifting to becoming alien abduction stories because yeah like, like you mentioned 1950s you know the ufo stuff probably what 1950 around that time 55 that's when it started and then kind of really started to ramp up so you know if you did a chart i wonder if there's a correlation between you know fairy sightings and ufo sightings one going up one going down yeah yeah, I th I th I'm pretty sure that's right. And one of the things that we hear from alien abductions is this notion of um, creating a 
uh, a hybrid race of of beings. So taking some human DNA and some extraterrestrial DNA and mixing them together for some reason. That you know that is part of the plot line of the X Files. You know, it's it's a very common understanding. But when you start looking back at fairy lore, that also is a is a part of uh this this legend so um i don't know if you've ever heard of uh the changelings have you ever come across changelings uh a little bit i don't know a ton about them but yeah a little bit so the idea with changelings is that a uh, a person with a new child they the child would be replaced by a uh, so the human child would be replaced by a fairy so in some uh, parts of the legend this uh this it's a fairy baby and the legend says that the reason the fairies would do this was because fairy babies are ugly and troublesome whereas human infants are docile and beautiful so uh yeah fe- right <laughs> there's a problem with that law right away <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah but um the idea is that fairies are attracted to the um comparative uh beauty and uh all-round aura of the human baby right. and they uh, and they swap them and so they give it's like a cuckoo they give yeah, the yeah. The, the human parents the job of raising this uh, uh this fairy child but in <laughs> i've got Irish... a new found i've got a newfound respect for um fairy parents now yeah what they have to deal with <laughs> god could you imagine fairy yeah. mums net yeah. <laughs> that'd be nuts yeah, um but in uh in ireland the theory was that they would actually exchange an elderly dying fairy for a baby uh-huh. um and then uh part of that law was that the um if it was an infant fairy child then uh it needed mortal food to thrive that was uh that was that was part of it um, and then if you go to Scotland, they had a similar belief, but um, part of the law there was that fairies had done a deal with the devil and every seven years they owed him a tithe and they, the devil demanded a blood sacrifice. And so because fairies regarded themselves, uh, you know, with, with high uh, regard they wouldn't kill each other so they would they would steal a human baby uh to do this blood sacrifice but one of the things that keeps coming up with all of the stories about this changeling is this potential need to cross breed and that was the motive for kidnapping so it's noted that in order to prevent their bloodlines becoming choked the fairies took humans to inject flesh, fresh blood into their clans. Now, that, to me, sounds exactly like the alien abduction theory. It's incredibly yeah. similar. So, so far, we've <laughs> much, got... Much, much smaller probes, though, which is good. Very, very <laughs> tiny anal probes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Every um, cloud, you've got to think of it that way. 
Well, so if if you take into account, so so far we we know that there are there's missing time. That is a common part of it. Yep. There is this thought that babies get swapped, and that. Um, so in that earlier account, we have the woman describing technologically advanced civilization, which in her mind was underground in rural Ireland in the 50s. But it could have been anywhere, couldn't it? It could, it could have been anywhere. You start drawing real parallels with the current alien abduction sort of law and thoughts. But... It goes gonna, further. Before we move on to going further, I mean, mm. I guess the only thing of that alien theory is, well, I guess it depends on your um, what what type of law of physics and various bits they've got. But maybe I'm thinking about it too literally. I mean, if they're if they're small. And, I, and I'm thinking of Hitchhiker's... Isn't there a thing in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where where a species comes to destroy Earth and they get here and they're really small and we're yes. really big and they realise that they bought the whole thing. Yes, so, there is. But it, it, so if you're if it is an alien abduction thing, they're like what you you mentioned nine nine inches. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how, how do you get on the, to the ship to get somewhere else, or am I just being too literal? Do you think? Well. I suppose it depends on what sort of technology these these beings have. They might be because if you if you your, have... your woman who visited, did she say she was the same size of them? Did you get that impression? No, no. The, she, she said was they still were smaller. She was okay. So it's yeah. Of, she was like Gulliver in Gulliver Travels. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But all the um, accounts that we have recently for say alien greys. They're not tall. They're described as um, I. I looked at some of the uh, accounts from the last ten years. They're described variously between three and four feet tall, and so they're still very much smaller than your average your average yeah. human. But but the other thing that you get out of alien encounters is um, the uh, the the screen memory. Uh, yeah thing so some people they will have the missing time and then they will describe things like um so a common one is owls they will talk a lot about how they were driving along and there was an owl in the middle of the road or there was an owl that came and sat on their windowsill in their bedroom or sometimes it goes beyond owls and they describe they had this weird moment where there were a number of animals looking directly at them. And then under hypnosis, these people then realised that it wasn't animals or owls. It they're, just, was, they're just visualising something that makes it easier to comprehend. That's right, yeah. It's yeah. a screen memory. Yeah. And and fairies have this, this screen memory. So something that I had absolutely no idea about until i started digging into this was the origin of the word glamour so uh, glamour is uh, it comes from the english word grammar 
and it was altered in the 1700s um, by the Scottish and it becomes the meaning of glamour uh, and the original spelling is G-L-A-M-E-M-E-R, not G-L-A-M-O-U-R, but it means a magic spell. And this becomes something. So the fairy glamour is something that pops up in a number of stories. So the, the idea is that they hold some spell over us and we see something that isn't necessarily there. So right. we, we actually get a little bit of um, a taste of this in A Midsummer Night's Dream, if you remember. In in that Shakespeare play, there is... Um, it's It's actually a potion in that play, but it makes... People in that play, you know, those characters see something that isn't there. Yeah. And that this is directly tied to this idea of fairies giving a glamour. And when people see beyond the glamour and see it for what it really is, bad things happen. So uh, I found a, a case of a, uh, this is a Victorian report and it takes place in Wrexham. And it's where a fairy blinded a person just because they looked at it. And the idea is here that because... It is, it is tough in Wrexham. <laughs> it's really tough in Wrexham. Um, but because this person saw beyond the glamour and whether that that magic was to make this fairy invisible or appear as something different the uh, the retribution was was pretty harsh mm. but we also thought that isn't a isolated case we have a case in exmoor who um is a person who describes themselves as having had dealings with pixies <laughs> <laughs> and i don't know what those dealings are um but she then later saw the pixies thieving at a market in minehead this is this is. I hope you're following me here. <laughs> I, I am. I just. I just want to make it clear before we get a legal letter. We're talking about the paranormal, not the uh, fantastic band. <laughs> oh no, not that. No, no, not that. They no, would no. never shoplift in. <laughs> Where was it? Uh, Minehead. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I'm not sure they've even been to Minehead, but. Um... So, so this this woman who has had had dealings with the Pixies, she yeah. sees them. Uh, thieving at this market in Minehead. And when she protested to them, she was also blinded. So there's this really dark element to uh, to to this experience of uh, fairies. <laughs> this monkey's gone to heaven. Um, <laughs> I can I just go back a little bit to your um, your alien theory that you were sure. talking about because i did have a question which was um is there also the examples of fairies coming back to visit people who've seen them the first time is there repeat visits or is is that different uh yeah there are so it does seem like if you can make make friends i i would say in a in a broad uh, in a broad sense, if if you have can strike up a relationship with the 
fairy folk, then yes, they will keep coming to um, to visit you. Right. But the the reason for those repeat visits, although it seems good on the surface of it, it never seems to work out really well. So, for example, there are a number of stories of people um, visiting fairy feasts. So you've probably come across the idea that um, if you if you get invited to a fairy feast, you really shouldn't eat anything because otherwise you'll be there forever. That's well, the well. Also, everything will be the size of hors d'oeuvres, wouldn't it? So it's kind of you're never going to get full. It's it's <laughs> excellent for those watching weight. Yes, yeah. um, but it. There are accounts of people either encounter, uh, encountering fairies for the first time or striking up some sort of relationship and then being invited to a feast. And a lot of the accounts are people who realize that they shouldn't eat or drink anything whilst they're there. So they go and enjoy the revelries and they describe these really sophisticated banquets and numerous small folk and incredible music that they want to dance to um for, for hours and then they decide that they will try to uh, bring back some evidence of where they've been so they'll put some of this amazing food in their pockets and then once the the fairy land disappears and they're back in our reality they look in their pockets and all they have is bits of leaf and earth and and everything has just disappeared and it was it was all part of this glamour it, and that is sounding like when i saw the pixies at glastonbury many years ago <laughs> that's exactly my experience <laughs> so, <laughs> sure well so I I think they're probably related. Yeah. Um, is there a difference between a pixie and a fairy, or is it just all the same thing? Do we think? Uh, that is Are a they... good question. It it seems like the terminology is fairly interchangeable. So right, I think right. I think pixies are part of fey folk. So I think a fairy is a generic a generic term, and yeah, pixies are possibly a, a branch of the fey folk and i keep i keep thinking i guess i guess the the get out for this one is well they use magic but it seems like they have quite a um what's the word uh kind of complex society going on so we've talked right. about clothes they make clothes or they have clothes they have these banquets they've got music you, you know in in normal world you'd have to have a support structure kind of providing you know, you've got the the equivalent of a fairy marquee company. Do you know what I mean? It's like absolutely. Is the get out that we don't see any of this support structure? The fact that it's all magic. Um. Well, I suppose what you might say is that it's a glamoured. Well, yeah, or it's well, it's either a breakaway culture doing its own thing. Uh, or it's uh, you know it's a misdirection. It's it's something yeah. else. 
But it's um, really when, in- when you were talking about it, it, uh, it reminded me of there's a Clive Barker book called Weave World. I don't know if you've ever read it, but uh, it's a great book. Um, but I remember at one stage, there's this kind of weird subculture society, but they're able to, uh, you know, a bit like Harry Potter when they kind of disappear off into the woods, they're able to kind of create this illusion so no one can see their camp and and where they live and they've got a whole society thing going on there so maybe it's similar similar stuff to that going on yeah absolutely but you would think wouldn't you that um with everything that they're doing we might have found some fairy artifacts yeah that's what i was thinking okay well although your sandwich example you know that that's that's maybe how they get out of that one they're quite good at covering their tracks they are good at covering their tracks, but there is a Ooh. photograph in existence of what is claimed to be an actual fairy artifact. And Ooh. let me tell you about it. It's called the fairy shoe. And this shoe was found in 1835 by a farmer on a remote sheep trail in a place in Ireland called the Bearer Peninsula. So it measures a so <laughs> this report I've got is um it's quite an old report so all the measurements are in inches so you'll just have to do the calculation in your head but it's uh, 2 and 7 eighths of an inch long and 7 eighths of an inch at its widest it is described as being black and it shows where at the heel that's the good. The farmer gave the shoe to a local doctor and it was eventually passed to a family called the Somerville family. And it was reported to be examined by scientists at Harvard University. So, like, this is where it starts going crazy. And those scientists are reported to have said that it had tiny hand stitches, well-crafted eyelets, and it was made of mouse skin. So this, yeah, Um, so this, that's crazy. Yeah. And I, I will, I will send you the picture. There's a, there's a a very old black and white picture of it sitting next to a thimble. So So that'll be, um, if you just look at it, if you're listening to the episode, if you look in the description, uh, there should be a link uh, to our photo album and you'll be able to see that there if you want to have a look while we're still talking or if not yeah. go to our facebook page at tqm podcast so that isn't the only piece of fairy clothing that's been found so in again in ireland in 1868 a tiny coat was found so mm-hmm. it was it was six inches long and one and three quarter inches long at the shoulder it was fully lined, had cloth-covered buttons, and apparently exhibited considerable wear at the neck and collar. And again, this description is one where you have to wonder how fanciful the uh, original author was, because it also goes on to describe uh, some fraying and even scorching and the scorching is described as being consistent with coming as if from a tiny pipe. Right. Now, like I think that is, 
yeah. You, you have you. you know that? I, I think you have to take this with a pinch of salt because there's <laughs> a, a lot of, of assumptions coming in there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think the thing that makes these finds interesting is around the wear of them because yeah i think that as soon as you said about the shoe being worn um or on that on that one the kind of cloth covered buttons because you think that's a level of detail that is kind of above and beyond if you were going to fake something yeah well my initial thought when you read this is it's doll's clothing i mean that is the size of doll's clothing yeah but when you add in lined would you line doll's clothing well no maybe not and also like that shoe how would it get to a remote place in ireland like it's not impossible of course it's not impossible and it's not impossible to have wear on the heel i guess if you've got a child who is playing with a doll and making it walk in some way, then yeah. that is completely feasible. Well, but also the shoe being out, made out of mouse is... Of mouse skin, yeah, just, that's that's the other thing. Is again, like, if you were going to fake it, it's nice touch, isn't it? You it know, is a nice touch, yeah. And, um, and I can't imagine that the mouse, people... obviously, but yeah. Well, I, I can't imagine people making dolls clothing out of mouse skin it's a it's a very unusual yeah thing to to, so, to do yeah so i'm thinking you would either have done it as a hoax and were just real attention to detail to do it or yeah there is something weird about it is there any idea of again it seems odd to me of fashion style of these mm. objects you know what i mean it's like if you've got your own culture you'd have your own fashion it's they don't seem like they would just copy our fashion that's the other thing i'm thinking yeah no that that is true although i suppose like a coat is a coat and a shoe is a shoe yeah, yeah, yeah. isn't it um but this this does this this idea you is again interesting you mentioned that because um, this idea of fashion and what they're wearing does come up in recent accounts. So um, I found I found several accounts recently, and I'd say within the last ten years, of people seeing humans, seeing um, diminutive beings. And here's one again from Ireland, and I think you will recognise the description. And the, the, I'm quoting now, word from word, word for word, for what from what this person wrote. And they say, when I was about seven, I was staring out of my back window from the upstairs landing in my old house. I was mesmerised as I looked out. Usually, I would see the backyards of other people's houses and the great big grey building that was the handball alley. I don't know what a handball alley is. I squeezed my eyes closed and opened again because in the usual place of the surroundings was just fields and beautiful green grass, soft rocks dotted around pools of blue water and flowers upon flowers swaying in what appeared to be a gentle wind. Very strange because I'd never seen anything like this, uh, I thought to my young self. Then I noticed the movement in the garden and what I saw next startled me. 
Sitting on our defunct flower bed was a man the size of a baby doll. He was wearing green trousers, a waistcoat and a jacket. And what always struck me was his shoes. Black as the ace of spades with two big shiny gold buckles. He was sitting there looking at his shoe with his head when his head bolted up. He looked at me, smiled and vanished. The view behind my back garden turned back into its mundane self. To this day, I don't know what happened, how it happened, and I can't make head nor tail of what happened. But I'm glad I got my first and only leprechaun experience. So that there, like, I think the warning on that one is that it comes from a seven-year-old. But on the other hand, we've got a lot of the um, the traits of uh, other fairy encounters. So you've got the glamour of the environment changing and you've got the diminutive being and once again like they're dressed in something you know almost it's It's interesting it's a cliche right exactly and i wonder whether there is something like maybe there are screen memories on screen memories it could be that she is simply experiencing, well, I say simply, but it could be that she's experiencing an alien abduction and that is the screen memory because yeah, they realise yeah. that a leprechaun isn't going to be terrifying like a grey is. But how weird is that? And that is written on an internet forum, you know, for anyone to find. Like, it, again, you have to look at the reasons for lying and... Yeah. Like, apart from just being like having a bit of a joke, there's no good reason for writing something as eloquently as that, unless you just want to perpetuate the myth of leprechauns, I suppose. Yeah, because like, there's no real punchline to it, is there? There's no, 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 no. But th- there are, there are others. There are others, and these, um, these. Uh, concentrate less on their dress, although they do mention the the dress because it's in, intrinsic to it. And one of them even comes with a video. So let me tell you this story. So uh, this person says, um, so I was walking my puppy and I was looking down at the ground. And when I look up, there's this weird green bug. At first, I figured it was a flying praying mantis. So I just stood there watching it for a couple of seconds and then I saw that it had a little green dress and a little head with brown short hair and its wings weren't what I pictured a fairy wings to look like. It looked more like a hummingbird wings. So I stood there with my mouth hanging open and watched it land and when I stepped over to find it, it was gone and there was also these weird little uh, white bugs or something that appeared out of nowhere. So I thought that's interesting, these little white bugs, because um, what I didn't mention from those earlier stories is there's a consistent tale about what uh, orbs that happen at the same time. So I think orbs, as we would know it from, um, like, I suppose, TV law, like Most Haunted, are um, sort of luminous uh, little tiny globes that move across the camera and they are often uh, explained as 
artifacts on a uh, the the input of a digital camera, which is absolutely fair enough. But when I started digging into this, I found a video of someone who had recorded one of the orbs exactly like this person is experiencing. And the reason I found it is because somebody posted this in response to that comment and said, did it look like this? Right. And this person said, yes. And um, we can share this video. It's on YouTube. But what you see is something... I don't really know how to describe it. It's a small um, white object that moves in an intelligent way. And they're really, really close to it. You see it hovering near grass. Sometimes it moves quick as a flash. And then sometimes it just stays there. There There is absolutely no wings. It is not a fly. You can see that detail on it. And that the person who originally writes about seeing this fairy says that is exactly what I saw after I'd seen this fairy sighting. So I think that is really interesting. Although it's funny, as you were talking about that, it, it was reminding me that, I mean, we used to live in London and we moved out to the countryside probably about a year and a half ago. And the first time I saw... Um, a hummingbird hawk moth. Have you ever seen those? Yeah. And I'd never seen one before. I didn't know they existed because, you know, I spent my whole life in, in, in as a townie. And when I saw that, it was such a weird creature. And as you were describing, or that person was describing that creature, it was just really front and centre of my mind because, you know, the the way the wings move, the way it moves really quickly... The first time I saw it, I was like, what the heck is that? Yeah. You know, and it was only when I got closer, I was like, oh, I had to look it up to find out what it was. But <laughs> there must be some level, and sometimes they do got quite white white bodies and various colours. So well, I wonder if there is a lot of misinterpretation of that as well as some of the i'm not saying all of them but i wonder if there's some of that going on as well uh, uh, of course I, I and like i think with all of this phenomena whatever you're talking about be it ufos or ghosts or whatever of course there is a lot of um mistaken identity of things but like i would challenge you to watch that video which i will share with you afterwards yeah and not be somewhat perplexed so it doesn't look like one of these hummingbird hawk moths no there are no wings there are absolutely Uh, no no wings okay it's it's just um a little white clearly solid orb yeah but like you're right like everything that we always say is that you have to take into account the scrutability of the human brain and the eye. But these these stories, they all have a lot of things in common. And then there are some unique features in them that make you go, well, how could that happen? Mm. Um, so let me tell you about this one, which does have a unique feature. And um, this, again, I'm just going to read from this person's account because i don't i can't obviously put it any better because i wasn't there and um 
she says it was the summer of 2007 and my husband and I went for a walk at 4am. It started to rain, which was not unusual for southwest Florida, which is obviously where they are. And while we were near a parking lot, uh, sorry, we were near a parking lot. So we sat under this awning type structure under an empty parking space. We were quietly talking amongst ourselves when suddenly I hear a very distinct whistle, the kind that someone makes to grab someone's attention coming directly from behind me. Startled, I turn my head around and this thing, and she uh, italicizes that, this thing flies at me and brushes by my hair. Obviously, our first thought was it was an insect, but it hovers just a couple of feet in front of us, completely unfazed by the rain. We're able to see its features and we realize this is no bug. It had dragonfly-like wings, about three or four inches in span. But unlike a dragonfly, it had nothing in the middle where its body should have been. We got a very good look at it, and it definitely was just a pair of wings. Nothing else about it was visible. We both stared at it in complete disbelief as it continued to hover in the rain, coming closer, then getting farther away from us as if to check us out. We were completely speechless the whole time. Then it flew away into the woods ahead, and that was the last time we ever saw anything like that. After it left, my husband, Brackett, who is a hardcore atheist and makes fun of anything supernatural, whispers to me, dead seriously, did we just see a fairy? <laughs> wow. And it's those sort of accounts yeah. that also make me um, think twice about whether people are making something up. So that is the first and only account that I've been able to find where it's just wings. It's, it's just wings and it's almost like the the being that is controlling and is attached to those wings has again created some kind of uh illusion whether it's magical or not which means that those people can't see it. Yeah, it almost some, seems some weird like it, camouflage. Right. It's almost like it was a mistake that it was seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, uh, that's the other thing that's going through my mind at the moment. Again, or, uh, they seem... They, what am I trying to say? If they're true, fairies do seem willing to let us in a bit compared to anything else paranormal that we've talked about. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so far, we've had... I know these may all be different things, but... You know, we've had an English speaker that was moaning stuck in someone's hair. We've had, you know, you get invited around for a little party or you go and see their kind of uh, artificially lit place that they live. You know, they, they they seem quite inclusive for a paranormal entity. They do seem inclusive, but it seems like uh, there isn't a case. It always either ends up um badly or indifferent for the the human there is no evidence in any of the stories of the fairies having a a sort of a two-way relationship with that person like everything everything is um a trap or has um bad connotations or a bad outcome you can't eat the food because yeah. you'll be trapped there and then if you take the food it turns to leaves if you like as we heard if you see past 
the uh, the facade of whatever it is that they're trying to project, you could end up being blinded. Um, and is that the same in in all the folklore you've yes. come across? So yeah, so so the kind of cutesy Tinkerbell, you know, you know, spreading angel dust, angel dust. <laughs> fairy dust fairy dust (laughs) maybe they're all on angel dust um spreading fairy dust that's that's a modern invention i think that's a disneyism like i think we would all recognize that sort of um disney silhouette of what is essentially they've turned it into is a attractive 1950s housewife with a wand and a pair of wings yeah Slightly and, petulant in t- at times, Tinkerbell, yes, in the film, I remember. Yes. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. So but, I guess maybe they took that bit of the folklore, that it's a bit, bit tricksy, you know, bit petulant, but ultimately a good character, which, you know, you can't... There was, especially back then, there, was, there were good characters and bad characters in Disney and there wasn't anything right. in between, was there? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you, you know... Like obviously, um, the 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 influence of Walt himself has probably waned um, somewhat since his death, but the fact that he was part of this yeah. investigation society means that, that he obviously, amazing. yeah, and he obviously had a a, a a curiosity around the paranormal, which is beyond what I had. Imagined, yeah, same, same. And was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle a member? Uh, It would have to be early on, wouldn't it, for him? Yeah, no, no, he wasn't. He wasn't. But this society, um, they did. I, I have found accounts where they did check out the Cottingley Fairies, but it seems like they had got wise to what was going on way before people like Sir Arthur got involved. So this is like this is not a um, a sort of a drinking club of um, people who are bored. They Fairy really fancies. did want to find out the truth around fairies, and when they found out, it was two sort of schoolgirl aged mm. kids who were showing these photographs, which seemed too good to be true. And also, uh, we were saying about the cutesiness that the yeah. pictures are quite cutesy so maybe that and that that was such a big story wasn't it yes yes absolutely yeah so that's maybe created the base for the modern interpretation of what a fairy is yeah i I think it's that and and also there are tales of because like um the idea of small folk around it does take many many forms so you get your house brownies um, for example, which um, if you treat them well, they will do housework for you. You get the um, the fairy tale of the cobbler who um, the elves come out at night to make the shoes that he can't do in his own work time. Yeah. And so you get all of these stories about sort of helpful entities. And yet when you peel back the layers of it the actual stories of people who believe that they have encountered these things for real it's a lot darker and a lot more mysterious than those those things the idea that 
you can feel like you have been away from the house for 15 minutes but you've been missing for one night two nights three nights even i've found some stories and you don't understand the passing of time and yet everyone has been out looking for you there is something um it's malevolent it's it's right. not benevolent i don't think although i'm still loving the fact that um iceland have got a kind of fairy reserve that you can't touch is brilliant yeah well they they have this idea that there are places where these these folk live and you mustn't drive through you mustn't build roads or houses right. where where they live and like i think that one although if you like i do know um some icelandic people and on the surface of it, they say they do believe in it. But I think when you have a deeper conversation with them, I think what, what it turns out to be is it's a really, it's a novel and interesting way of preserving the local landscapes and nature, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, although, like, uh, I don't... It, I don't think they would they would actually say that, but I think that is probably one of the motivations around it. L I like, love, I love that though. I love yeah. the fact that the fairy bit is a bit like, yeah, underneath it all, we're just trying to protect the environment, but we're doing it through this fairy kind of mythology. is brilliant. Yeah. Well, it, at its core, the fairy myth is very environmentally friendly. Yeah. Like there are the if you if you go back to like you don't even have to go um much further than the 1920s and 1930s when um like as you heard from that professor about the birdlit beaches who said you know that's why people can't go there because it's full of fairy folk and if if that becomes a accepted interpretation of why you can't build houses or build a road through that wood then that's fine isn't it i mean it doesn't yeah, yeah. it doesn't really matter but it's it's interesting that people who have again it's with all of these things who has something to lose here and a professor telling somebody you know it, of it, in a public record that they believe that this wood is full of fey folk yeah. then like you open yourself up to all kinds of um ridicule and um you're not doing your 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 career any favors i yeah. wouldn't have imagined even back then um yeah 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 i like the alien theory as well i think it's really interesting because i think yeah. I, I came at this of yeah i know a bit about the kind of old folklore but i i, I think that that's really interesting that it is almost you know is it alien or an interdimensional being or something like that i think it's quite interesting yeah yeah and i i fall down on the the side of i i think it is a mixture of all of those things that idea of the changeling i think a lot of um sort of uh folklore commentators might say that though that goes back to um a time when perhaps disability wasn't 
mm-hmm. uh, appreciated as it is today. Yeah. And it was a way of explaining that away. And I totally understand that. And that does make sense. But on the other hand, it's there's a lot of mythology there which you don't need to build to make that excuse. Mm. And, and if the mythology as it absolutely is in at least Scotland and Irish roots, Scottish and Irish roots, that the reason that that baby would be taken would be to bolster the breeding stock of the perpetrator. Then again, that, that sounds exactly like aliens and, and everything that you can come up with. Like, I think one of the, the biggest things, uh, sort of arguments against um you know the a rational argument against um aliens taking people to extract their dna to mix with their own is if you've got the technology to jump between uh, galaxies you have surely got the technology as we have in its early days to be able to manipulate dna yeah. and um w- whatever the problem is in your lineage, you've you you could find a scientific way of doing it. There must be an easier way, uh, rather than building a spaceship, going to another planet, and taking people out of their bedrooms in the middle of the night, and then pretending you're an owl. That doesn't that doesn't really make any sense. Except, yeah. loads and loads of people say that. So you wonder whether this idea of um, this this crossbreeding, this hybridization. There's something more to it than what is being claimed, and that and what that something is is obviously a mystery. But you might imagine that if you are regarding this planet as something as uh, you know, like a zoo uh, or an experiment, then maybe it's uh, an experiment on what you can do with this human dna rather than we're trying to save something yeah it's it's more experimental it's a bit like when you yeah it's it's when you breed two dogs together and go what am i going to get out of this it's it's not because you couldn't go to a laboratory and engineer a labrador to um be whatever color you want it to do it's because you can and you have a go with it and maybe that's what this is this is about there is some kind of um, intention behind all of this that is so beyond our understanding that we just have to make up simplistic explanations for it. I love the fact that the quantum mechanics ask the questions like, what came first, the fairy or the grey? It's the fairy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a grey man myself. (laughs) I'm never touching their cakes again. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. I love this society as well. I think uh, if there's any members out there, secret members, who want to get in contact with us, we'd love to talk to you. We could we could keep it anonymous, couldn't we? We're good at keeping secrets. Oh, of course. Secrets. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I would love it too. Yeah. Like, I wonder if in its most recent incarnation, if it's been going six years, like, if you've got more tales, if you've got more... Mm like evidence i'd love to hear it i loved i also have this vision of those secret societies like that where you know on some level somebody's got right 
Derek, do you want to read the, me- the minutes from last month's meeting? <laughs> do you know what I mean? There's just some, there's something bigger. Well, there were four fairy sightings in Bradford Forest. <laughs> I just love that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, well, I totally imagine it is, although they probably just meet via Zoom now. Yeah. Well, they do dash about a bit, so it's it's quite aptly named. Yeah. Well, if anyone listening has got any further ideas on what we've been discussing, let us know, because uh, I am definitely intrigued. I went into this a little bit... Well, I just thought they were like a Disney uh, stroke Cottingley myth, and yeah. then um, I was kind of blown away to find those modern stories and yeah i i should be keeping my eyes more open every time i take the dog for a walk now yeah i'm going to be looking out for small footprints in the in the mud yeah exactly <laughs> excellent well i hope you uh, enjoyed our uh deep dive into fairyland and yeah. uh we'll be back next time on the quantum mechanics see you next time the quantum mechanics